right, the existence of God in 30 minutes or less should be plenty of time, right? All right, well, as we get started here, go ahead and just talk to somebody next to you. Tell them this was my favorite TV show as a kid, all right? Favorite TV show as a kid. Ready, set, go. All right, what do we got? Shout them out. What is it? MacGyver, all right? Star Trek, all right? Happy Days, cool. Emergency, Three Stooges. Where are my generation people at? Come on. No offense. What, all right, what would you say? Okay, Deadliest Warrior. All right, no, nobody shouted out any of my cartoon favorites, all right? Anybody? Simpsons, okay. <laughs> yeah, you guys, you got a lot of favorite TV shows, apparently. All right, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle people, where you at? All right, I was, there's, my, there's my crew over there. All right, so I was, Donatello was my guy, you know. Um, he, uh, he totally could set them straight. I don't want to mess with the, the Ninja Turtles. Where, what about Scooby-Doo? That was one of my other favorites. All right, Scooby-Doo, that's what I'm talking about. So you had the whole gang, right, and Scooby and Shaggy. I'm pretty sure they never really helped much. They just liked to eat Scooby snacks, and somehow at the end of the day, everybody else ended up figuring out the mystery. But there was something about this show, right, as I watched this show, that I would just get drawn into the show. And the more times that I watched the show, I knew there was always going to be, like, a solution at the end. Like, how is this strange, abnormal crazy thing happening, right? It can't really be a ghost or whatever mysterious thing was happening in the episode. There was always going to be um, a solution at the end, and the kids were going to figure it out, right? They're going to jump in their mystery machine. They were going to come. And so I'm trying to, like, and I do this when I still watch, like, CSI and shows today. I'm trying to already figure out, like, who did it, right? Like, who did it, what, for what reason? And so I'm already um, in tune now from my days of Scooby-Doo uh, to figure things out and to be curious about things. And it was this curiosity that drove the gang um, to figuring out the mystery. Although for Scooby and Shaggy, it was Scooby Snacks. Like, that's, that's what drove them to figure out the mystery. Um, and always at the end of every episode, there would be this moment where the villain was revealed. And this was the person that was pulling the strings or had come up with this elaborate scheme, right? And at the end they would have them like in handcuffs and they'd be standing there and they would be like mad and uh, they would say you know to the police or whoever was arresting like we would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for those meddling kids right like, that was the line of the show and I still remember it to this day and that's really what this series is about this series is about curiosity as we, we're talking about got questions this series is about our curiosity it's about being a detective when it comes to life's biggest questions it's about meddling in the things that matter. Taking enough time to say, I want to pursue and answer the questions that actually matter. G.K. Chesterton, he said this once. He said, all science, even the divine science, is a sublime detective story. Only it is set not to detect why a man is dead, but the darker secret of why he was alive to begin with. And I'll be honest, I took a personal journey myself. I'd grown up in the church. Um, 
and had always been taught the things of the Bible and the things of God. Um, but it wasn't until later in college and after college that I started to just raise these big questions of why did I believe these things to begin with, right? Like, is there a God? And if so, um, how can I logically come to that conclusion? And so I took this journey for myself. And I took the detective journey, the investigative journey. And my experience had told me uh, that there was more than just uh, the human experience. There was something beyond us. But the question, the big question that I had was why? And the truth is we've all got to get to this place in our own journeys where we go after the answers on our own, where we seek hard after the heart of God that we might experience Him. And as the Bible tells us, to not to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, right? That we need to be able to, and God gave us this mind to seek after him as well. And so that's the challenge. And I, had, I read this article that honestly left a lump in my chest uh, a few uh, weeks ago. And it was a Barna statistic that was uh, just released. And it showed that atheism has doubled from millennials, which I'm a millennial, into Gen Z, which is uh, kids that are now in their teenage years right now, that uh, atheism has actually doubled. And why that's most striking, because the truth is, Atheism is still um, a, a minority. I mean, it's, it, it's a very small percentage of the overall population. Um, but there was, it was at a steady 6% um, among Gen X and 7% among millennials, but it doubled in just the last generation to 13%. So there's a, a lot of questions as to why that is. But, but, but here's why I use that, to say there's no more important question to get right than does God exist. And as we come into a climate and culture that pushes back on that, and the truth is, while uh, atheism might be a minority, it's certainly not a silent minority, right? Skeptics um, are, are more than willing to share their skepticism. And so we've got to be to the place where we have this logical basis as well as an experiential basis. And experience, experiential basis isn't bad. We've got to have a logical basis for why do we believe these things to begin with. And we've got to arm our kids with this logical understanding for why is it that we believe in God to begin with? And so my challenge to you today is to be persistent in your pursuit of the truth. Like a good detective, like Scooby and Shaggy, right? To be just so hungry for the truth that we're willing to whatever it takes um, to figure that out and to come to um, the most plausible um, answers. And I could talk about this for hours. I'm, I'm not going to, I promise. Um, but my hope this morning is that this will just lead you to more personal investigation. Because we're not going to answer everything today, right? But hopefully what we do is to stir the curiosity a bit. Because Jeremiah tells us that, um, that God says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So getting to this place where we're seeking God with all our heart and with all our minds. I think that what you'll find at the end is, is way better than a Scooby snack, right? John Lennox, the brilliant thinker, scientist, and mathematician, he simplifies the big question, the mystery of existence, this way. He says that there's really only two worldviews in the end. Either mind gave rise to matter, or matter gave rise to mind. And this is really the question that we're chasing, is, is all that we observe around us, is it just result is it is all that we observe around us is that we the result of a personal mind a, a thinking intelligent being that that created matter or is the human experience in mind the the capacity that we have to think and make decisions is it just the product of blind chance and matter running into each other in some um, way 
And today's going to feel, just going to warn you, it might feel a bit like drinking from the fire hose, but what I'll say is just soak up what you can, and again, get thirsty for more. Get hungry to dive deeper. And so what I want to do today is I have three specific clues that point to, and I believe them to be very compelling clues that point to the existence of God. And so this is what we'll use today uh, to begin the conversation. Clue number one is um, some dominoes. Anybody play the game dominoes? Or I don't really know how dominoes is actually played, to be honest with you. In my world, and that's the world with little kids, is you stack them up and they knock them down. Like that's pretty much the way it works in our house. Now, if I was going to take these dominoes and line them out on the stage, right, on this firm surface, and we all walked out of the room and we came back into the room and the dominoes were all knocked over, we would wonder how that happened, right? The first question would be, okay, how did that happen, right? Because we know intuitively that for the dominoes to fall over, for there have to been the effect of these dominoes falling, somebody would have had to or something would have had to set the dominoes in motion, right? If you were in my house, you would just come to the assumption that if you set dominoes up and they were all knocked over, that the most likely scenario was that it was one of the little people in our house because that's what they do. They just knock things over time and time again. But when it comes to this big question of the universe, right, uh, when it comes to the complexities of what we see around us and see the dominoes that have fallen, the effects that surround us, the question is what or who knocked down the first domino? Who set this whole thing into motion? The German mathematician and philosopher Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz asks it this way. If you got a name like that, first of all, he's like, listen to that guy. Like, he knows some stuff. And uh, it says, he says this, and he raises the big question. He says, nothing takes place without sufficient reason. We know this. Assuming this principle, the first question we have the right to ask will be, why is there something rather than nothing? Why is there something to begin with? Why is the universe here to begin with? And this, what he's defining here is the law of causality, which is every effect has a first cause. Every effect has a first cause. And so what was the first cause of the universe? My son lately has been really into doing magic tricks, right? Like, so he's like always telling people, because uh, my father-in-law started like doing stuff with quarters and pulling quarters out of ears. And like he was so fascinated by this stuff. He's like, this is this is awesome. And so now he wants to be uh, into the magic stuff. So he's always t- teach, asking people, hey, teach me a trick. And so he's learned how to pull his thumb off, to pull his nose off. He's learned how to pull things out. of it. it's, it's fascinating stuff. And uh, so he's always, Dad, let me show you a magic trick. So he's got one that he does where he pulls a quarter out of his hat. And uh, um, don't tell him I told you this, but it's not really magic, all right? Um, what actually happens is he, he's really sly, too, and I don't want to ruin his trick, but act fascinated like I do if he does it to you. He stuffs a little quarter in, like, the, the berm of his hat, right? Your magician's never supposed to reveal his trick. But he stuffs a little quarter in, like, the little side flip of his hat, and so you don't see it. Like, I'm going to make a quarter come out of my hat. Boom, 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 boom. And he's like, quarter, right there. I'm like, whoa, like, that is so fast today. That's amazing. Like, good job. Like, way to go, right? And we celebrate it, and... Um, but the real trick would be if there was no quarter there to begin with, right? All he's doing is moving a quarter from one, which is a bit of misdirection, but it's not truly magic. It's not, um, it, the real trick would be to create something out of nothing. Something out of nothing. I mean, just think about that for a second. Our entire experience tells us that nothing, that, that something comes from something, not something doesn't come from nothing. And so how do we create something out of nothing? And that's what we see in our universe. 
Francis Collins, in The Language of God, he says this. He says, we, we have this very solid conclusion that the universe had an origin, the Big Bang. Fifteen billion years ago, the universe began with an unimaginable bright flash of energy from an infinitesimally small point. That implies that before that, there was nothing. I can't imagine how nature, in this case, the universe, could have created itself. And the very fact that the universe had a beginning implies that someone was able to begin it. And it seems to me that that had to be outside of nature. Scientists virtually all agree now that the universe had a beginning. The universe hasn't always existed. There was a starting point. And so the two questions, the two possible um, answers to that is, one, nobody created something out of nothing. Or two, somebody created something out of nothing. And my question for you is, which one takes a greater level of faith to believe? That nobody created something out of nothing or that somebody created something out of nothing? And for this to happen, for something to be created out of nothing, that force would have to be, number one, an agency, which means that it's a decision-making entity, that it has the ability to make choices, right? So it had to have been a decision-making, a personal entity that makes choices. The second thing that would have to be true for something to come out of nothing is it would have had to have been something that's immaterial or non-contingent, okay? If you look into the scientific word, this word non-contingent, meaning it wasn't dependent on anything else. It wasn't de- dependent on material. Why? Because material didn't exist prior to, because we had nothing. So... It had to be immaterial. And third, it had to be transcendent. It had to be outside of time and space, not limited by time and space. It had to be infinite in that way. Does it sound like anything you've heard of before? Genesis describes this as God. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God. I mean, think about just the compelling questions that that raises, but also just the compelling answers that that provides. In the beginning, God. God. That the Bible says that God has has always existed, and in the beginning, God knocked down that first domino. God created the heavens and the earth. John 1, 1 through 4, describes it this way. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And so the first clue is that something came out of nothing. That first domino was set into motion, creating this effect that we see in our world and in our universe. Clue number two uh, is uh, evidence is of design is inescapable. Evidence of design surrounds us on all sides. And so um, God has left his fingerprints from the cosmic level down to the subatomic level. And so there is evidence that somebody was doing some designing, right? I, uh, I'm, I'm a bit more of a craftsman today than I used to be. Uh, it used to be when Jess and I first got married that, like, I was lucky if, like, we would hang a picture on the wall and it would work without us, like, being in some giant fight. Like, just hang it there. Like, curtains are the worst. Like, hang, it's, like, weird, like, hang. So I was horrible. We were horrible at hanging things. Like, I had zero craftsmanship whatsoever. But I worked at it, and I got better and better. And uh, I'm still not a craftsman. I still wouldn't call myself that. Uh, but... I do my best. And uh, a few uh, years ago, I decided that I was going to make just this 
farmhouse table, like, because she'd been talking about, like, let's, I want a farmhouse table, and so I'm like, sure, like, how hard could it be, right, like, so let's do it, and uh, so I was going to give it to her as a surprise for Christmas, she went out of town to New York, and uh, I was going to drive down to her dad's workshop, take little Aiden with me, he was just a little guy at the time, and so we drove down to her dad's workshop, and uh, we're going to build this farmhouse table, and he had already gathered some wood that was, that came from his farm that he had milled right off of, he's like, this is going to be crazy, it's going to be the best present ever. And so we're getting ready to start. I had this intent, right, this intention to build this table. And I was like, surely, like, that should be enough, like, the intention. Um, but I got there, and uh, Jess's dad just says, all right, where's the plan at? I'm like, what? What do you mean, like, the plan? We're building a farmhouse table like that. No, I know you want to build a farmhouse table, but where's the plan? Like, with the measurements and, like, the sizing of this thing and the proportions. I'm like, I just thought we could figure it out. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, you know, you're the guy. You're you're the craftsman, you tell me. And so, you know, we got a good laugh out of that. And then we got on to Google, and thank you for Google. There was lots of farmhouse plans on there of people that had gone before us that had put this plan together. And so now I had an intention. I also had a plan, and that plan gave way to this process, right? And at the end of the process, which it was a lengthy process, really glad I had her dad's help, but we had this beautiful farmhouse table, right? Like, not so bad, right? Yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. And um, so now I always walk by it. I'm like, yeah, I built that, you know. Like, and I, I like tell people, like, hey, do you guys see that farmhouse table? Isn't that pretty sweet? Like, yeah, I built it. Yeah, so that's awesome. So when I gave it to Jez, I could not even wait to, like, give it to her, like, till Christmas. I'm like, she got home from New York, and I'm like, hey, you want your Christmas present? Like, I, I want to show you. Like, so I had pictures of it because I was going to have to go pick it back up uh, down there. But I just had the picture, and I was like, awesome, isn't it? And, uh, you know, now, her first assumption would have been, without me even telling her, that somebody had made this table. She probably would have thought it was mostly her dad. She would have been somewhat correct. I helped quite a bit. But she wouldn't have believed me if I had suggested to her that I had just left some wood and some screws out in the yard, and a strong wind rolled up, and ba-boom, we have a table, right? Why? Because things don't craft themselves like that, right? Blind chance doesn't just, and impersonal forces don't come together in such a way that they all of a sudden appear designed and tinkered with and, and carefully crafted, right? That doesn't happen. We don't see any examples of that happening in our experience, right? And the examples of this are, are just incredible, right? Throughout the universe, all the way from the cosmic level down to the subatomic level, we see the evidence of intent, that there was an intent, that somebody had this intention, right? That somebody actually had a specific plan, and there was this intelligent process that unfolded. This is what science tells us. This is what our experience tells us. So there's evidence of a planner, a craftsman, a fine-tuner, a designer. Some of the examples at the cosmic level, I mean, the, the list goes on and on. It's mind-boggling. Some of them you heard listed in this video that we got to, to listen to. But if the gravitational constant was even slight, was slightly different, the universe would have caved in on itself. If the strong nuclear force uh, between atoms were slightly weaker, only hydrogen would exist in our, uni- in our, in our universe. If it were even 0.3% stronger, then only heavier elements would exist. Either way, the bottom line is no universe under those conditions. And then just on the level of the earth, if the earth were slightly closer to the sun, we would burn up. If it were slightly further, we would freeze. And on and on, if you look at just the examples in physics, there's, this, there's so much evidence of mathematical mastery. 
that you have to look and think, man, the most compelling um, and the most plausible explanation must be that there was a, a mathematical mastermind to create such mathematical mastery. And the same is true on the molecular level. I mean, just the human experience, I mean, you look at how complex the human brain is or the human eye or all of these small little teeny tiny cells that allow our body to function in just the right way. What an incredible um, miracle it is just to be able to exist, that human life sustains itself, right? I mean, the examples are so compelling. You look at DNA. It was the complexity of the DNA chemical code that convinced one of the most outspoken atheists of his time, Anthony Flew, um, that, that there must be an intelligence, that there must have been somebody that designed this. That was the conclusion he came to because he determined that computer code to this level doesn't just write itself, right? And that's a, DNA is this in, complex and incredible computer code that sets life into motion. And how do you explain that if you don't have somebody that is writing the code? And we see um, person after person come to these conclusions, right, and and walk out this journey and realize, man, the most plausible explanation here is that there must be an infinite craftsman who intended to create, who planned every detail to perfect perfection and handcrafted the universe and all that is in it. Paul writes these words. He says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God has made, they can clearly see the invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Because everywhere we look, we see evidence of a God who is a craftsman and a designer. And so that's clue number two. Clue number three that I want to look at today um, is symbolized by this cone here and uh, I don't know how many of you guys had the opportunity to come when the uh, the preschoolers had their uh, bike-a-thon I know many of you guys had brought your families out to that and uh, it was just an awesome day we had a ton of fun and uh, shout out to the preschool team for just throwing a really really cool event which Aiden like was super excited he was talking about it for weeks and then it rained that day and he's like are they still gonna have the bike-a-thon like world was melting down right and uh Yes, we will find a way to have the bike-a-thon, right? It's going to happen. And so the rain, um, we got a break in the rain, and we got to do this cool uh, course with um, all kinds of great obstacles and ramps, which a couple kids bit it on, which I'm like, it's going to happen, right? You're going to take the ramp. It could happen that you bite it. Um, And every now and again, it would be funny, too, because a kid would get turned around backwards, and now you see, like, boom, boom, like kids passing each other. And so there was very clearly a right way to go on this course and a wrong way to go on this course, and uh, the cones sort of laid that out, but sometimes kids got turned around. And uh, Aaron used uh, this, this uh, event to teach the kids just a great lesson, which is that the Bible tells us which way to go. And she used these cones, and they all got to go home with these cones with this little thing on it that says, the Bible tells us which way to go, right? And so really, really cool event. Uh, but I use that to say, why is it that we even teach our kids right and wrong to begin with? Like, I know why, but, but think about the question, right? Why is it that we have in us this need to feel like we have to teach our kids right and wrong? Why is it that we feel like there is a sense of right and wrong to begin with? Why? Because right and wrong is something that is implanted in us. We actually believe that there is a right way to go and a wrong way to go. Even atheists hold moral positions all the time, right? 
and they teach their kids some version of right and wrong. But the question is, outside of, and it's not to say that, that those who don't believe in God can't live a good life. They just don't have any basis for what is right and what's wrong, just like none of us would. So outside of a moral lawgiver, the question is, who sets the standard for right and wrong? What makes Mother Teresa right and Hitler wrong if we don't have someone who has imparted a law on us and laid it within us? Truth is, nobody would teach their kids that the right way to go is to murder innocent people, right? Nobody teaches their kids that. Now, we can deny the right that there's right and wrong, and we can deny what's right and choose to do what is wrong, but we all have this this sense that there is a right and wrong. For example, if I told you a story, which is a true story, by the way, that somebody conned my sweet grandmother out of $5,000, like called her on the phone and gave her this story pretending to be my brother and say, I'm in big trouble, Grandma. I need your help. I need you to get me this money right away to cover these lawyer fees and on and on. They exploited this weakness in my grandma, this, this vulnerable position, and they robbed her of $5,000. Not one of you would be like, well, yeah, that, that, that's the right thing to do, right? No, no, you're all probably feeling this sense of outrage. It makes me mad right now. I still have the same level of outrage. Like, I wish I could find that guy, right? Like, I want to teach him about respecting his elders. I want to teach him a thing or two about right and wrong. And if you told an atheist or somebody that didn't believe in God the same thing, that, hey, listen to what just happened to your grandma, they would be just as outraged, right? But where does this sense of right and wrong even come from? Right? Because it, without some, some, some uh, governing force that sets right and wrong, we don't have a case that we can make about right and wrong, right? We could just say, well, he was just, he was just survival of the fittest, right? He, was just, he, he outsmarted her and he deserves the money. Nobody would make that case, right? It's ridiculous. Um, University of Texas at Austin professor um, writes this. He says, everyone knows certain principles. There is no land where murder is virtue and gratitude gratitude is a vice. The argument goes like this. Every law has a lawgiver. We see that in our experience. We see that in our, our, our reality. Number two, it, there is a moral law. We know this. It, it's implanted in us. So number three must be true. There must be a moral lawgiver. There must be one that sets right and wrong. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis talks about how this was one of the most compelling proofs to him. He, he captures this sentiment quite well when he says this. He says, think of a country where people were admired for running away in battle, or where a man felt proud of double-crossing all the people who had been kindest to him. You might just as well try to imagine a country where two and two made five, right? doesn't make sense. And elsewhere, he says, my argument against God the whole time had been that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust but wait a minute, how had I gotten this idea of just and unjust to begin with? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of what a straight line is to begin with. So the essence of the question is, how could I know something was wrong or unjust if I didn't have some sense of right and wrong to begin with, and if someone hadn't put that sense of right and wrong within me? And Paul explains it to the Romans this way. He says, listen, even the Gentiles who do not have God's, raw, uh, God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it, um, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts, for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them that they are doing right. 
And so Paul's saying we're accountable to the law whether or not we recognize the law. Why? Because the law is written on our hearts. Now, obviously, understanding and believing that there is a God and understanding the basis for morality and understanding the specific things that he said and the things that we believe in the Bible, because we believe that God is uh, the one that sets the moral law, and we believe that he's captured the law within the Bible. And so the Bible does tell us which way to go. And so it, 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 it does have an authority um, over our lives. But without God, where does morality uh, come from to begin with. And friends, these are just a few of the key clues. Like I said from the beginning here, we weren't going to hit everything, but what I hope is that this started to stir your curiosity a little bit. And like Stephen challenged everybody last week, throughout this series, I would encourage you to pick up some books. If you want some specific books on this topic or any other topic, let me know. I've got tons of resources um, that on my own journey that have been just so valuable to me. Um, and uh, I would be happy to recommend some of those things for those of you that want to dive deeper. But I would challenge you to do that, to continue to meddle in the questions that matter, to continue to build your intellect and logic about these things, as well as uh, your personal experience as God continues to reveal himself uh, to you personally. And the truth is, nobody can take that journey for you. I can give you some answers. I can offer some of these things to you. And I would encourage those of you that are young people, there's no, there's no time that's too early to start digging, um, to start digging a little bit deeper, to start asking the big questions. Parents, I would say to you, uh, no, it's never too soon to begin helping kids build a logical basis as well as an experience, experiential basis uh, for God. And so I would encourage you to do that. Why? Because Jesus commands us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And so that's what I want to challenge you with uh, today. Um, we're going to take some time to worship here in just a minute. Uh, but as we close today, uh, I just want to pray for us. And uh, if, if you're in here today and you're like, I have more questions, like, seek us out. Uh, we'd love to have those conversations. Um, another person I encourage you to seek out is Stephen Donnelly, who's going to be teaching at Project 215 tonight. Um, just a, a guy that is just such a wealth of knowledge to share on these topics. And um, where you're going to hear um, from Randy Rose as well back in our Project 215 environment um, throughout the summer. And I would just encourage you to continue to build this perspective and build a deeper confidence. It's just part of the road to maturity, right? That we have continue to mature and be built up in our faith to be equipped by God so that we can both experience God in the way that he wants um, us to experience him, to know him in the way that he wants to be known, but also as people who have been giving the, given the calling to go out and help make God known to other people um, in a loving way, this also is a basis for us to continue to dive deeper and to dig deeper. And so let me just challenge you to do that, and uh, we're going to worship, and uh, let's pray. Father God, just want to thank you so much just for your patience with us. God, I just want to pray for anybody in the room that, is wrestling with doubt today. God, I think about Thomas and his doubts. And I just think about your patience in those moments that you were willing to reveal yourself to him. And so for the doubters today, God, I just pray, God, that you would continue to reveal yourself. They wouldn't feel guilty about that, but that doubt and those questions would lead them to more questions, God, that would lead them to become seekers instead of just skeptics. 
And so, God, I pray for those today. I pray for those that have maybe never taken the journey for themselves. God, that you would compel them to just have this thirst for knowledge and this thirst for you and ultimately this thirst for truth because we read in the scripture that it's the truth that sets us free. And for those of us that that maybe have taken that journey, God, I pray that you would continue to build our confidence as we go out and help make you known to other people, God, that you would solidify our own faith, that we might lead others to know you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.